due to the themes of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Remember, data is the commodity. You're just the product. Lock your doors. Close the blinds. Change your passwords. This is Secrets and Spies. Secrets and Spies is a podcast that dives into the world of espionage, terrorism, geopolitics, and intrigue. This podcast is produced and hosted by Chris Carr. On today's podcast, I'm joined by Deborah Winter. Deborah is a professor of literature and critical thinking at New York University, and she is the author of a fantastic article that was in The Guardian called Meet the White Middle Class Pinterest Mums Who Believe in Plandemic. Today we're going to discuss the conspiracy theory thinking around vaccinations and the dangers they present in today's world. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting it by becoming a Patreon subscriber. You can go to patreon.com forward slash secrets and spies. From September, you'll get early access to episodes and transcripts of our episodes as well. Also in September, I am going to organise an online drink for Patreon subscribers, so hopefully that's another perk. And if it's successful, I might make that a a semi-regular event for Patreon subscribers only, and I'll try and get a special guest. You can also connect with us on Twitter by going to at Secrets and Spies. If you enjoy today's episode and this podcast in general, please leave a review on your preferred podcast app, hopefully a five-star review. Lastly, if you haven't already, Please check out my short spy film, The Dry Cleaner, which is available on iTunes, Amazon, and Shorts TV. Thank you so much for your support. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Take care. The opinions expressed by guests on Secrets and Spies do not necessarily represent those of the producers and sponsors of this podcast. Deborah, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on. So for the benefit of those unfamiliar with you and your work, please can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? I am a Canadian living in New York City. I'm a scholar, mm-hmm. a writer, and a journalist. Currently, I teach classes in literature and the environment and critical thinking at New York University, NYU. Um, and these courses are basically um, uh, cover our belief systems yeah. and how these belief systems impact our response to the changing world. Yeah. And I have a forthcoming book called Global Catastrophe and Literature, Writing the Sublime. And it's about the eruption of Mount Tempora in 1815. And it, uh, that eruption darkened the planet for three years and how that trauma manifested in literature. Oh, wow of the period that sounds fascinating i didn't i didn't even know yeah. about that bit of history it just shows how uh yeah. cultured i am doesn't it <laughs> yeah. wow well, no no it, i mean books like frankenstein were written and, i mean it's kind of it it evolved to sort of this uh, sort of darker romantic gothic twist so wow yeah. well i mean especially if you consider the time we're in now the pandemic and how we're all <laughs> all of us are kind of uh, got our own metaphorical dark cloud over us but that, that's fascinating yes and i've had students come you know contact me saying 
you know, uh, from that class, you know, it's what we're going through now. And so it's kind of interesting seeing oh, how it excellent. connects. Excellent. Well, do, yeah. do let me know when that's out because I'd love to have a read. That. So that's great. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you again for joining me today. So I wanted to chat with you about your article in, in the, the Guardian, or should I call it the London Guardian or UK Guardian for American listeners. And it's titled, the article is titled, Meet the White Middle Class Pinterest Mums Who Believe in Plandemic. So I wanted to go through this article with you. Um, and so the first question I suppose I should ask is, what is Plandemic? Mm, okay, Plandemic is a 26-minute viral video that spreads misinformation about COVID-19, mm. uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, um, vaccines in general, and also um, negative information about wearing masks. Yeah. Um, and so it's told through a discredited scientist named Judy McWitz. Uh, and through a series of questions and answers in a docu documentary format, she is portrayed kind of as a victim in a smear campaign against her. That's how it's portrayed in the video. Yeah. Um, while at the same time, she confirms some of these various conspiracy theories. Um, and then I should also mention that the pandemic video coincides with within three weeks with uh, her book release, which uh -huh. is Plague of corruption yeah. um, that she co-wrote with an anti-vaccine advocate. So a few things going mm, on there. Mm. Um, it's supposed to be part of another movie, which, you know, we, we haven't heard much about, but it definitely um, took off and her book ended up being on the uh, New York Times bestseller list wow. in Amazon. Yeah. And sadly, that doesn't surprise me anymore because a lot of, uh, a lot of questionable materials on the New York bestseller list and Amazon. <laughs> But uh, that's, that's a whole other <laughs> subject, I suppose. <laughs> you know, you're you're right because you can actually buy into mm, that level. Mm, yeah, mm, oh, sadly. <laughs> so, um, so what inspired you to write this article, and what did you discover about the sort of people who believe in this pandemic video? Well, when I wrote the article, I wasn't thinking specifically of pandemic. I was considering this accumulation of links that I was receiving from a variety of sources. And the links invariably led to the same places. Yeah. It was misinformation about coronavirus. It was master plans for world domination by Fauci and Bill Gates. Um, and then also issues of personal freedom. The people that were sending the links may not have known each other. I mean, I was the person in common that knew them. They wouldn't have hung out in the same circles. Um, I did notice uh, that the, the most vocal proponents had several things in common. And that would be college educated, health conscious, and we're skeptical of vaccines. That's not to say that these are the only people that believe in conspiracy theories, but it was interesting that this particular group was now suddenly interested yeah. in this. Um, so, and I should say the headline, you know, was chosen by the outlet. Oh, so yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah. So my premise uh, of the, was the idea that the conspiracy theory followers are no longer fringe, that, that they're actually people that we all, you know, could know. Yeah. These, are, these are people from all different areas of my life that I'm all of a sudden keep hearing this repeating, repeating message. And so um, they were no longer followers of fringe groups. Um, and they, and part of me thought, well, you know, now that this keeps coming up, it, it's a group that can't be discounted because some part of us think 
the conspiracy theory. Oh, you know, we can discount them. And I, and I wanted to say, well, wait a second. When it's coming up two or three times a day, it's now something that's becoming more common. Um, and it's a significant number of the population of people who are going to vote in the upcoming U.S. election. Yeah. So I thought it was interesting to sort of zone in on this demographic um, and the voting implications of this particular group. My article is an opinion piece. It's in, in no way an official study, but it is saying, hey, you know, I'm noticing this. Uh, you know, are you noticing this? Is How does this resonate? Mm, so it's, mm. it's asking that question. And so I think um, the individuals that... Uh, happened to be opposed to vaccines and felt that they had no choice but to vote for Trump. Um, And because he had previously showed in 2012 and 2014 um, that he expressed views, the same views as the anti-vaxxers. And so um, although there's no indication that he would make, you know, the coronavirus vaccine mandatory or not, um, they think you know, perhaps even though they could have been Democrats before, that he's their best bet. Yeah. Well, the thing is, we were just talking about this off air, but I mean, like um, just today in the BBC, the, there was a figure has gone out that at least 800 people have died due to misinformation about the coronavirus. Um, and it's from a recent study. And it's just, I mean, we, we, it is conspiracy theories traditionally, the response to them was to laugh them off. Um, and I think prior to 2016, that was pretty much the, the main response from most people. And I say as a former conspiracy theorist myself, I got laughed at and yawned at quite a few times. <laughs> and, um, but the thing is, um, I just, it, we can't laugh at these things anymore because they're becoming dangerous and it's it's um and it's not just the usual cranks who believe in ufos anymore it's ordinary people now hold these sort of views that are are quite shocking really yeah i mean i think that that's the same sort of thing that that struck me and at the same time i thought well this is also an important part of the voting voting electric mm. these are these are, uh, these are people that um, can make a difference in policy. Mm. And so um, that's something, you know, we should consider and think yeah. about. Yeah, definitely. So what can you tell us about vaccine skeptics and what they believe and how popular do you think it's sort of become now? That's a good question. So um, I'm not a vaccine expert. I can tell you from the individuals that I have spoken to, um, but there's a few things that I think, a few components that are important. There's you know, the individuals and their critical thinking mm. is a key factor mm. um, and how uh, they reach these beliefs in the first place. And then also there is a secondary factor that many people, you know, may not consider, but there is a, an entire uh, world of online trolls and bots and uh, weaponized health communication, often Twitter bots and Russian trolls that amplify this vaccine debate. Mm. Um, and I think it's really important because it's not just, uh, okay, we have to work on your critical thinking. There are, you know, we have a whole new way that information is given to us and it is hard to combat. It is hard to wade through which one, which things are true and and not true. So from an individual level, um, I can tell you, uh, how vaccine skepticism has impacted, we'll say, you know, my friend. She had uh, a, a, a bad uh, incident happen. Her daughter had um, 
learning issues that coincided with the vaccine. So for her, she, you know, I'm not saying it was the vaccine. I'm saying it happened at the same time. And, and for her, um, these learning delays led her into the world to find out more. And when you start getting into the anti-vax world, it's, it's a pretty intense, Mm -hmm. um, pretty intense there, uh, with, with lots of, you know, there's, there's doctors within that realm. There's lots of research there for them to, um, follow. Um, and so in, in general, that's how she ended up in there. Now, conspiracy theories for the general vaccine, the one that we're thinking of for coronavirus, um, touches on the premise of individual freedom. And this idea that people could possibly be microchipped or tracked. And that's that idea of personal mm-hmm. freedom of having before is, is a really, uh, it strikes a chord with a lot of American uh, people because that idea of forced health, anything is an issue. Uh, although the idea of being tracked in itself is, is always something. And this is what I do say to the people that, you know, friends of mine that, that, that do follow these, I say, but we're also already, you know, you carry a smartphone. We use the internet. Mm. We have a free e- email mm. account. We've all signed up for some form yeah. of surveillance. Yeah. Especially on Facebook. <laughs> right. Yeah. I try to tamper it with, with those. That, that, that is always leaves a pause, but doesn't get an answer. So, yeah. and then from the weaponized health communication um, point of view, this initiative that we know has been, it's been proven in many studies, not just in America, not just in universities, but also, you know, in Europe as well, that there are these, uh, you know, Russian bots mm-hmm. and trolls mm-hmm. that are, um, their their whole purpose is to amplify the vaccine debate and, mm-hmm. and encourage a grassroots response um, and create so disinformation and create ca- chaos in democratic societies. What is it? And from a from a military perspective, so if Russia are spreading misinformation, they're trying to sow seeds of doubt in the population. So if let's say half the American population decide not to take the vaccine, from a military point of view, that's there's a lot of people who are probably going to die from the coronavirus. And there's a lot of people who are now not signing up to join the US Army, the US Air Force or the US Navy, you know, and it suddenly means America's weaker than it was prior to the virus. I think that's a really good point. I, I, I didn't even think of it from that point of view. I When I look at these conspiracy theories and how much information, how time consuming they are, I think even if people don't die from it, Mm. even if, let's say, whatever happens, the vaccine either works or doesn't work, or Mm. the uh, coronavirus runs its course, I think the amount of time that you have spent in downtime, um, you know, researching these things, you actually have individuals that are incapacitated simply because they're on their phones, Mm. reading and participating. Mm. So it's just, Mm. it is another way of uh, not only, you know, creating um, a society that is not necessarily active in their own uh, best interest. So they are um, maybe participating in the way they think is is the right way, but not the most effective way long term. Yeah, definitely. One of the things I notice about vaccine skeptics that I know, um, a lot of them are very much into sort of spirituality, organic food, and they're very much into natural remedies. Is there, do you think, a discernible link between belief in those things and becoming a vaccine skeptic? Now, I don't have um, a study 
or anything that I could that, that I wish I could you know send you a link for. Um, but I do know that these online theories and these um, these the weaponized health information is really sophisticated. Mm. It's really complex and it's laser targeted. Yeah. So um, I know that. Uh, the examples of the women in these articles, they were extremely health conscious. They only used natural remedies. They would not take a Tylenol if they had a headache. They wouldn't use artificial sweeteners. So these individuals were deeply concerned about what went into their bodies and also their families. Um, and so from my small little group, I can say, well, these people were, there was definitely a link to it. The only thing for certain that I know from reading uh, many, many studies is this idea that the the, the polarizing aspect of the anti-vaccine uh, movement was something that um, when they look at the Twitter messages that they can tell that many of them are not actually from individuals. Yeah. So um, we can say that there's an effort there. I, um, and the only link we can make is one that's an assumption that says, well, these people tend to to go on that in, in, in the area where they're caring for their health. So, um, but have I seen it many, many times? Yes. And since, since I've, since I wrote the article, I, you know, so many people reached out to me saying, wait a second, that fits, um, you know, their 10 friends or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, well, before it goes to my next question, I suppose, how was the response been to your article, especially among friends? I think friends have been um, really interested in learning more and making mm. the connections themselves. And also yeah. people that maybe I don't know that'll say, I've just had this happen. I just am realizing the same thing too. Like people that they maybe have known for many years that are either quite interested in this or sending links to various things saying, what do you think of this? And things that would normally not come, you know, conspiracy theory things that would normally not, that's what happened to me. I would send some links and I was, I was interested uh, in how uh, that would, you know, sound to them as, as truth when, cause if you keep looking a little bit more, you can see that there's some holes in, in it. Uh, in terms of, there's all different, there's the gamut. There's other people that are, you know, this is, this is really important mm, to them. Mm. So there's also, um, you know, ang angrier people. <laughs> well, yeah. Have you, I was going to say, have any of the, um, your skeptic friends told you off? <laughs> uh, no, no. Cause they, um, they know that I, I mean, I, I can understand I've been through, you know, their worries mm. about, you know, their vaccines mm, and mm. we've talked about it. So I think sometimes when it's, you know, someone that, you know, you can have that, compassion but i think we should also lend that to um other people and know that yes it's their own beliefs but they're also working against a mm. really really strong system mm. that um you know we have yet to figure out how to deal with mm. these online mm. um weapons because we consider war to be looking like how war has always looked which is you know guns and bombs mm. and this is yeah. this is a different way of attacking a population that i think you know going forward is it's um, sophisticated and it definitely um, is something that we should, you know, really consider as mm. a part of uh, warfare because it impacts populations. And, and isn't that the goal? Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. One thing I suppose that's just popped into my head as well, like um, in terms of this 
dialogue we have with our friends online. One thing I have sort of noticed from personal experience, it's not always been successful and it's not always been pleasant. Um, but sometimes it's better to take the conversation offline and literally either call the person up or, or meet them in person. Because what I've noticed when you're actually with someone, uh, or on the phone to them, they're more likely to at least listen to a bit more of what you're saying than if they're behind their computer and got access to all their websites and start pinging links in your direction. It kind of takes the, the link war out of the conversation almost. I don't know if you found that. I think I found that with everything in life. Mm, you know, mm. you start having some strange heated argument where you can't yeah. hear the tone online. It's yeah. always best just to, to pick up that phone, even though it no longer comes naturally, but it is a it is a wonderful thing to do. Period in any situation, not yes. not only this, but yeah. also it humanizes the the, the person. Mm. And if you can, I mean, it's hard now to see people face to face, but you can't see them six feet away. And I think that is a a wonderful thing to do. And part of probably why uh, some of these conversations get so get so heated because the human element is is missing from it. And I think once we um, have that, uh, once we add that into it, it yeah. all of a sudden seems, oh, wait, there are more important things than mm. this thing that I may or may not know for certain is true, especially these things that are around medical information. And if you're not, you know, a practicing doctor or work mm. in that mm. specific field, so it's not just any doctor knows, you mm. You know, your pediatrician, you may not know, um, you know, what's going on deep in the laboratory. Mm -hmm. Well, one other, one other thing I have in conversations, I don't know if it's the case for you, but um, when I have spoken with friends who are vac vaccine skeptics, they love to tell me how they've done their research, and I'll put that in quotation marks, and uh, they love to say how I clearly haven't done my research. Um, have, you, have you encountered this? Yeah, I think that was one of the pivotal moments that I realized that I needed to, whether it got published or not, hmm. write something about the experience that I had. Because when I had, I was on a Zoom call, hmm. which I never normally do um, with this particular friend, but we said, ah, you know, it's a pandemic, let's do yeah. a Zoom call. Yeah. And when she was saying a few things and I, you know, I countered her because I think it's important to do that quietly, nicely, friendly. Uh, but I did see that she literally looked at me with, you know, with pity that I did not understand, like, oh, wow, you know, you've went off the deep end of mainstream media. And it made me think, oh, this is interesting. She's really feels, um, you know, it's, it's double countered back that mm. idea that I was the one that hadn't done my research. Now, had I done my research in conspiracy theories? Not really. I mean, she sent me some of the links. I would look at them and go, oh, okay, that's weird. Um, but had I had I researched further, um, I have since then. But at the time, I was just a little bit like, oh, that's, that's something to take note of. And I hadn't been on that other side of it. So, um, uh, and, and on the other side of it, there is a great deal of research provided for these people or fake, fake research, however yeah. you want to call it. Yeah. There, it is... Um, and, and anybody who's been a conspiracy theorist or, or followed it in any way, there is not just, there's the headline, which is provocative, but then they back it up with uh, a lot of different things. And now, um, in, within this particular example, there are summits, there are doctors posting videos mm. on, an, you know, many videos a day. There are doctors that are available for personal Zoom calls that will explain certain things to you. 
Um, there are videos with urgent pleas from nurses. So uh, I think all of those things do make them feel like they've done their research. There also is this sometimes a little thread of truth in like mm. all great propaganda, oh, yeah. a little a little thread of truth in it. So yeah. so then you take that truth and then you you can spin it many different ways. Um, and if we if we look at if we consider even um, pandemic or other strains of conspiracy theory videos, they seem credi- credible um, because and um, one of the things why they're so interesting and why your friends or my friends would find these uh, you know believable is that. Mm. You know, they're they are made strategically. So they tap into people's uncertainty, their anxiety, their need for answers, which is really key right now, really mm. heightened right now. Mm. It is in other times, but especially in this moment, which is, you know, unprecedented. We've never had anything like this before. Um, they are packaged professionally and they they in terms of pandemic, it looks like a factual documentary. Um, and it uh, effectively exploits, you know, these sort of basic basic methods of persuasion. Mm. Um, and also, uh, you know, they, they've, they've hit all the key things that you need, that sympathetic narrator, the person with credentials, you know, people appealing to emotions, um, you know, and the viewers just flooded with these images. And and if you go on any of these conspiracy theory sites or their articles, you'll find that they follow this same um, set of rules. So, um, yeah, so that's the thing. So they do feel like they have. And and I can see that they have. I mean, the the women in the article, I spoke about women because they're, they're the ones that um, were were coming up for me in that moment. Um, there are lots of men, all different races, but that's specifically the demographic because of how they turn out in an election. Um, but uh, they are—they uh, are the ones that are following these closely, and because there's so much information, it makes them feel like validated. Um, and so the the other aspect of it is that the links to the information can be taken down at any moment. And that sort of hits a nerve. Like, wait a second, this is our freedom of information. This is our rights of individuals. So so there's that added element that they're the information that they've worked so hard for is being taken down because their idea is that um, you know, big pharma, big government yeah, yeah. is holding that information back from them. Yeah. Um but one thing to keep in mind is, you mm. know, facts don't always drive the conversation online and social media algorithms aren't good at distinguishing what is true or false. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and the other thing as well, I mean, there's a whole, when it comes to social media and algorithms, there's a whole economic side of things that um, that people are maybe not knowledgeable about. But uh, like, uh, I think it was with the conspiracy theorist David Icke, so a few months ago in the UK, uh, the 5G conspiracy theory could have reached a massive height of popularity uh, around about sort of April, May. And, um, and this conspiracy theorist David Icke appeared on some live YouTube chat that famously called shut down i think halfway through which fed feeds into what you were just saying about that idea that someone's suppressing information but the other thing david ike's been around for years and youtube make money off the advertisement around his videos so he makes um i can't remember what percentage it is but he'll probably get like an eighth of the money that you uh, that youtube are making out of the advertisement and the rest goes to youtube so there is a kind of financial there has been a financial motive to be a bit slow about the conspiracy theories and again and I think also um, 
the, as we were saying earlier, the traditional um, thought about conspiracy theorists was they're harmless cranks and just should be laughed at. And, oh, isn't it funny? There's a video about, um, I don't know, the moon landings this week and they're faked or, um, I don't know, uh, they're microchips and vaccines. It sounds ludicrous to to people, but now people are actually starting to believe it. So. <laughs> yeah. And I think right now that that is fascinating to me is mm. how it, it got, and, and I wish I knew the statistics of it. The a certain segment of the population would be interested in it, but for some reason now that is that is growing. And and I and maybe it's that it's a pandemic. Maybe that it's uh, science oriented and it's harder to actually know what's true or not true. So whoever's speaking, you know, the loudest and the most urgent about it mm. seems like somebody you should follow. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah. the financial aspect is really interesting. That to me is fascinating. Yeah, it is. Well, I think I think one thing with the advent of the internet, um, and, I, and I don't want to sound like an old man because uh, I'm not that old, but I'm getting there. Um, <laughs> it's uh, like in the past, traditionally conspiracy theorists prior to internet chat forums and then YouTube and Twitter and whatever app you choose now um well usually you would have to go and buy a magazine or, or or join a mailing list um and it was a lot harder whilst now um i just have to turn on my computer and get a broadband connection i can connect with anybody around the world you know and and suddenly be bombarded with all sorts of information so the information is much more accessible now than it was maybe 30 years ago yeah definitely and and the people that i don't know if you're familiar with andrew morantz does a ted talk on yeah um, you know, how we hung out for a couple of years with conspiracy theorists mm. and just how simple they, they, their life is. Mm. He, he says they got a mug of coffee, a phone for texting, an iPad and a computer. And when they get an idea for a story, they just put it out there and, and it's, you know, it's funny to them and interesting mm, and they mm, believe in it. I mean, mm. they believe in what they're doing, but they, they, um, particularly like the, um, the traction that yeah. can come from. Yeah, so. I remember that reminds. Yeah, there's some articles about professional trolls have been interviewed, aren't there? Um, that that yeah. definitely reminds me of. Because again, there's mon there was certainly. Um, I don't know what the situation is completely now, but maybe five years ago there was a lot of money to be made through publishing articles that go viral. You know, um, it's a bit different now, but, uh, <laughs> but it was certainly a way to make a living. Um, <laughs> um, one other thing I noticed that a lot of people I know who are vaccine skeptics, a lot of the ones that I personally know went to university and some of them even got first. Yet when it comes to their daily life, they seem unable to sort of transfer those critical skills they learned at university and apply them to their daily lives. What do you think's gone wrong? Uh, I think, you know, if we look at it from an individual level mm -hmm. and during this coronavirus pandemic, there are a lot of factors at play. So it's new and confusing science. There's personal circumstances. There's these huge changes uh, in our regular daily routines and economic distress. Mm. So these things can be overwhelming. And some people seek alternative realities. Um, some rationalize with, um, you know, uh, some sort of idea of this this becomes some sort of soothing um, remedy for them. Mm. Mm. So um, in, in terms of, it, you know, when they can hold on to a quick answer or an answer that's as extreme as how they feel. I think critical thinking in terms of, okay, why are they not applying the, the critical thinking that 
possibly they learned in university. Some universities don't teach it, but but in terms of um, you know, at some point you it comes up. Um, why it, the critical thinking requires application. It's yeah. hard work. It's yeah. uncomfortable. Mm. So just to give you a simple example, it's, it, it becomes the difference between if you have to add in some, a sum by hand or by reaching for a calculator, sometimes finding or pulling up the calculator on our phones can be longer, can even take longer, but you feel better because it requires less mental effort. So I, I think at some point, this idea that, you know, why are they not applying it? It actually requires effort, and and I'll explain what I mean. So from a textbook level, um, you know, we know that there's some form of failure of applying critical thinking skills. Two, people overestimate, you know, their knowledge of particular topics. I, I think we all do that a little bit. Uh, oh, yeah, I know about that, or I've read about that, or I kind of know about it. Also, sharing content without reading it. Um, mm, mm. And, and we all... We oh, all, we're all guilty that I've done it. <laughs> We we read that headline and gone. Mm. And so I've made a rule with friends that you can send me anything, but you do have to send me a little bit what it's about, what you liked about it. And so I find that it cuts down on just one sentence. I don't, you know, you don't need to send me a book report. Yeah. But either say, oh, I sent you this headline because the headline was interesting, or um, this is a thing that I took away that I thought you would like. Um, Because I find that. People send things that they may not have fully read or, or or looked at. So, you know, there's this idea that everything on the internet is kind of credible or it was here, so it is credible. And I think we need to, um, I think what's what wrong is we've lost track. We've lost sight mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've lost sight of our own kind of healthy skepticism. Is It should be a given. We should be able to, um, we should have it even with science. But we also... I have to get out of the habit, you know, you can think of it from things with climate change, of giving equal weight to each mm. thing. That's not necessarily mm. true anymore. Um, yeah. we, we no longer write, let's say, climate change articles giving equal weight to uh, climate skeptics so mm. we we know that it's proven and and we've we've at least that's one thing we can say that you know we've moved on from um but having said that uh, you know technology adds another layer to this. So, um, you know, there's always been some form of conspiracy theories, but the medium, the quantity, the velocity, the velocity in which these are distributed has changed significantly by social media. Um, and it's also been normalized by elected officials. So I guess what I'm trying to say is there is the individual element where, you know, we are responsible for our own belief systems at the same time, we also have to say, hey, this is something that I am mm. saying much more naturally mm. because, one, it's around me a lot more because of social media. And and also some of the elected officials are also perpetuating this, which makes it become something that that is um, uh, much more normalized. And then in terms of, you know, people that had went to university, some of these conspiracy theories and their followers actually do feel smart and validated in a sense of community within these groups. So it does have some form of validation in it. And you can't, you can't discount that because it's not like they're in the group feeling like they're, they're, they're um, not being smart. They're actually in it because they do feel like they're, Mm. they're the ones that really are in Mm. the know. 
and it's an important consideration. It is. Well, from personal experience, one of the things that was quite um, enjoyable when I was a conspiracy theorist was the debate. But for me, what I found frustrating over time was the fact that um, no one ever was able to reach any conclusions to anything. And and when you did reach something that you felt was a logical conclusion, people just wanted to kind of carry on and spin it. And they were enjoying the debate more than finding the answers or the truth or um you know and for me part of the point was to i want to find answers <laughs> right i think you're right i think um uh, for uh the, that's one of the the other points that i wanted to make is that mm. um yeah is that it 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 often isn't finding the answer it's living in that sense of uh kind of agitation in a way so um that that's kind of interesting that that yeah. would be a preference. Well, I think there were quite a few just contrarians um, in the group who just like to be the opposite. And and the thing is as well, when you look at conspiracy theories as a form of conspiracy theorist, you start to realize there's a pattern. They're just, um, you know, they're just the opposite of conventional um, belief or conventional wisdom. So if, um, I don't know, if I say... Um, trying to think of a really good example now. If I say that like a, a, a piano fell... Uh, in front of me somebody will just say it maybe it wasn't a piano maybe you were just seeing an, a, an illusionary piano maybe something else you know um maybe it's the matrix falling apart you know? <laughs> and, it, and it sort of goes on like that and it becomes ridiculous i remember actually with 9 11 it first all started out with the uh, um, there was controlled explosions then it was the planes were actually missiles or, or they were holographic planes that actually concealed a, a, a tomahawk missile i think it was then then it turned into no 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 it was beam weaponry so this it, so somehow some laser beam of some description blew up the twin towers um, and it went on and on and on and on and the thing is then you'd get these little camps within the conspiracy group of who believed what more and then they would all be battling it out of each other <laughs> and no one was any closer to the truth and it was just ridiculous so <laughs> That's what conspiracy theorists get up to on forums. <laughs> Did you end up following one or finding one? I was so I so there were two so there was two theories nine eleven. There was the let it happen on purpose, which I think was lie hop, and my hop, which has made it happen on purpose. Um, and I was sort of in the more the lie hop camp. So my feeling was that maybe at the time, obviously not now, but I, my feeling was that maybe the, uh, the US government turned a blind eye to a plot they had discovered because they felt that it would further their geopolitical aims. That is pretty much what I believed for many years until I did my sort of, <laughs> to, to sound like a conspiracy theorist, until I did my research on Al-Qaeda and, and how the intelligence community actually works and, and how um, in, uh, I've also, one other thing I say to people, if you, um, to any conspiracy theorist, become a project manager for a few weeks and you suddenly realise how bloody difficult it is actually to get anything off the ground, um, let alone keep it secret. <laughs> and I, I direct and produce for a living and it is very hard getting a group of people together for a common cause and implement it in the way that you imagined. <laughs> I think you have a book in there of, um, of, of yeah, you of like a, a recovered conspiracy theorist. I think that's fascinating. I would read that. <laughs> what would you call that book? <laughs> a recovered conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came up with yeah. a really stupid book the other day. Yeah. I was having a joke with somebody about um, 
Because the other thing, interesting thing about conspiracy theories, they somehow, so they, in their mind, there is this secret group who is formed of nas- all nationalities who somehow all get on. Whilst, yeah. obviously, in the real world, not everybody from all nationalities actually get on. So there must be something we can learn from the secret elite who are pulling the strings about interpersonal relationships. Yeah, right. Absolutely. The, the key to world peace, you know, uh, an armed, international arms dealer and how he managed to deal with so many different people from different countries and, and sell weapons to them. <laughs> there must be... <laughs> Right. Life lessons from Victor Bounce or something. <laughs> he had social skills that we just don't know about. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. I t- we, were, we were talking a little bit off air before we started this podcast about my history as a conspiracy theorist, and and I, and I frequently get asked about, well, how did you come out of it? And and you know, there aren't, there isn't one singular thing that got me out of it. There's quite a few things, and, and also the more I think about it, the more things come back, and I think, oh, actually, that was really helpful too. One of the things that was really helpful. So I'm kind of glad that I was a conspiracy theorist whilst at university because the tail end of my kind of conspiracy um career <laughs> what are you going to call it um the, 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 the where it started to fall apart it still took many years I, I so i finished university in 2006 and i honestly my conspiratorial thinking in the terms of like um new world order kind of thinking probably tailed out around about 2008 2009 um completely what what did you major in Oh, I, I film, film. Um, uh, so, I, so I studied uh, BA um, film and television production. I think was the official title of it. But it was actually doing my dissertation really helped me because um, so we were taught about empirical analysis where you have to question. So when when let's say you want to quote um, Darwin for something you want to pull a quote from darwin to back up whatever point you're making you've got to look at what darwin has previously written did darwin's views change over time um so like for example if you pull a quote from the beginning of his career which is completely the opposite of a more recent book then you kind of haven't really done your homework Uh, and also what do people in darwin's profession say about darwin um, and that's kind of what you would have to do with everybody. And it is exhausting. So, so like, um, so like when I read an article in a, in a, should we say a quote unquote respectable publication, like, you know, the BBC, the Guardian, the Times, something, you know, a mainstream source and, um, and a journalist writes something that's really, I don't know, makes me emotionally react to it. I stop. And I, I try and do this as much as I can. Obviously, there are days where I haven't done this, but but I stop and I Google the author. I figure out what have they written before? What do other people say about them? And also, how do their opinions stack up with kind of what actually happened in the world? You know, because um, and, and that's quite a useful exercise. And that's purely because of my writing a dissertation. I kind of got into that habit, and I've managed to sort of do my best to keep it um and um, so i suppose in a way i was going to ask you about can you give us a really good sort of dummies guide to critical thinking and how we can apply that in our daily lives so i don't know how how do you because you teach critical thinking so how do you kind of how would you put it in a very simple form for your new students if we were enrolling in your class today well i will tell you that as soon as we finish here i am setting up the uh we're we're doing online at nyu so i will be setting up the online version of the critical thinking class for fall uh and uh critical thinking is is a really vast topic so depending Mm -hmm. on 
who's teaching it, where you're teaching it. It can be many, many different things. Some people consider it just the argument part mm. of it. Um, I do not. Um, so it's a type of thinking in which individuals reflect and analyze when they're making decisions and problem solving and, of course, eventually constructing arguments. But um, I have students consider this question really basic. We know this question. It's how do they know what they know? Mm. And where did those beliefs come from? And so we explore a variety of thought processes um, in anything from blocks to critical thinking, such as bias, racism, um, emotional blocks, intellectual blocks. And we look at different writings. So we, we first look at them from other people's writings. So we'll use, you know, some George Orwell's work from when he was in Burma or Myanmar. Um, and we'll look at, uh, some of his loaded language from, from that, which obviously he knew what he was doing when he wrote that. And it's helpful because the students get to react to that and then think of their own issues. Um, so the course, you know, starts there and we really look at the basic ideas of where they form their belief systems. And, um, you know, often university is the first time they've been, not for everybody, but been away from home. They're able to uh, think for themselves and also realize, oh, some of this came from, you know, my family, my upbringing. And sometimes like they form mm, new ways mm, mm. Um, or whatever they've learned before. I have I have some students from other countries that, that may not know Americans' history, let's say, with slavery or things like that um, from, uh, you know, from all over the world. So uh, another thing is um, just, you know, how can we apply it, not students, but even students, but we can have that, that idea of that healthy skepticism, yeah. I think yeah. is a really great habit um, and be willing to do the work of it. it. It does take time. Like I was telling you, we, we tend to, we could add it up with their hands, but we do use the calculator and, mm. and you'll know you're thinking critically if it's like, uh, kind of uncomfortable. And so mm. if you're in that state of, uh, oh, I got to really sort this out. That's when you're thinking critically. And it also is not something that thinks fast. Our fast brain that makes those mm. wonderful mm. quick reactions that we love. Like let's say when we're driving, those are awesome. Um, but at the same time, we also, um, for other decisions, we need to employ this 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 other muscle. So there are tools we can self-apply to help guide ourselves, simply checking in. How do I know this? Why am I saying this? Why am I getting so mad when yeah. somebody is countering what I'm thinking? And they're really, they're really, really simple. So we, there's all sorts of names for these things. But I like to always bring it back to applying it to real to, to real life situations. Mm. Um, and then, you know, then we go over all the names. But um, I think also something to consider in our real life, we know this, but we have to think about it more often is just because it's written online or even in a book, it does not mean that it's true. I mean, not all books are fact checked mm. or, mm. or even the medical studies. We mm. have to look at these with rigor. We have to look at where did this funding come from for this? That isn't even enough. And see, I'm, I'm asking people to do something that takes a lot of time. But people say, ah, it was done by such and such university. So then they feel good. But you're actually mm. not done once you found out the university. You have to say, who funded it at the university? And then you find out other things. And then what was the study for? So uh, the first thing you're going to do if you have a, let's say, a you know, a, a drug or something that you want proven, you're going to go through a university and you're going to pay that university. And then you have to look at the constraints that were on mm. the study based mm. on the funding. So that does take a lot of work. Um, 
And so in lieu of that, let's say you don't have time to do that, then I think we have to suspend our conviction on our uh, on what we think about it until we can actually look at it. And, and this does come into, you know, that students are working on, you know, in an academic level on research papers. And so they are deeply, deeply concerned more and more each year over how do we know what's true? And, and we do go through this and they, they really are. It's, a, it's, it's fascinating because they can't just take you know, one answer. So it takes time, but we also have to allow ourselves uh, the time to suspend our belief mm. um, in something. And that's okay. That's a yeah. good thing to say, I don't know. I love saying, I don't know to the mm. students. Like, actually, mm. I don't know that because yeah. I think that me being able to say that allows them to say, I'm doing some research and I'm, you know, the jury's out in my mind. And that's not a bad place to be. We don't have to be either or. Yeah. Am I right remembering that's epistemology, isn't it? The questioning what you know. Yeah. It can, it, it, it's, it's for, it can be, but it also questioning what you know and keep going forward with that of, uh, how do I know it? And where did it physically, like, where did it come from? And so a lot of times when we're beginning this mm. with students, we'll say that you'll find out that they'll say, oh, this belief system came from my family because they believed this and I have taken that on. And then they have to decide what, let's say it's something to do with racism. They have to decide, am I going to carry that forward? Maybe they lived in a town that wasn't very diverse, but now they're at NYU in New York City. Mm -hmm. So so is now the time to sort of say, I may shed that way of thinking. Um, and so we really sort of unravel it. We attach that sort of loftier idea of how do I know what I know, but we attach it to real life mm. circumstances. And then from there, when they're writing their arguments, it really helps them clear up what they're arguing. It actually eliminates a lot of things that they think they may be arguing mm. about and actually gets... Um, gets to really more substantial um, and rigorous academic work. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. There was one sentence in your article that really struck a chord with me. Um, and it was about you kind of questioning what your responsibility or even qualifications were to tackle conspiratorial thinking among friends. And I think we can all relate to that. Can you talk to us about that thought process? Yeah, I really, um, you know, I teach critical thinking to students and I have different tools that you use and you go through, you know, it's just a 14 week course. It's pretty in depth. Um, it's really challenging for, for many of the students. There's a mm. lot of self-reflection. However, how do you do that with friends? And also, um, you know, I'm dealing with students. They're not necessarily, um, you know, I don't know for certain with each one, but they're not they're not going down sort of like a cult-like thinking. Mm, they're mm. not becoming so um, uh, repeating, um, you know, mantras again and again, because they, they tend to have these similar point of views. There's five different ones, you know, 5G could be one, the, the, the um, gates can be another one. There's, a, there's, a, there's five things that they're centered on. So, so how um how can we use critical thinking to help discern the truth or as close as we can to the truth but how and when do we police other people's thinking mm, mm. in terms of our friends mm. um and you know someone that's susceptible to cult like thinking they're often unwilling to hear other points however i do think it's important that we remind them um because i think it's good for them to think oh so and so thinks differently even if they give me the look of 
of, you know, that they're sympathetic for me, that I don't believe, that I don't understand this very complicated conspiracy theory, um, I think we should still be asking those questions. Uh, and so the I, I think what I'm trying to say is, depending on the spectrum of where they are with that, there's, there's, there's a point where you, you may need somebody who is, mm, their skill set is, you know, dealing with cult level conspiracy mm. theory falsehood. And that is not, you know, that is mm. not where I am. But I do think with my close friends, as a friend, I will ask questions. I'm not going to engage in an argument, you know, with them, but I am going to ask questions. And, and here's, um, uh, you know, something that I think I like to ask is why they thought something was credi credible and, and then follow that thread through. And eventually after many questions of not angry questions, but calm questions, um, when they keep answering it, um, they have a lot of facts and research, but eventually they do hit a dead end mm. because they can't explain why Bill Gates wants global denomination and mm. to microchip us mm. at the end of it all. And I think you had referred to this earlier is that it becomes um, it, after a lot of firm assertions, it becomes very vague in mm. terms of what it really is. So it, it eventually loses its bottom. Mm. Mm. Well, it's interesting. A lot of it's the other thing when I reflect on myself. A lot of us have an opinion about like how something works, but if we're truly honest with ourselves, do we really fully understand how something works? So, obviously, with this podcast, I mean, you know, one of the predominant things we talk about is espionage, which is the world of secrecy. And a lot of us have an idea, and I certainly had ideas of what I thought how spying worked. And then through reading books and interviewing people, I realized actually it's completely different to what I thought. It's not about like having silenced pistols and drinking martinis or whatever. It's more about people skills and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's it's really it's one of the things I noticed with the people I knew. They, they had a lot of opinions about about politics, and but they didn't understand. They didn't know who their MP was. They didn't understand how parliamentary democracy works versus president, you know, having a president and stuff like that. So I suppose people have to be a bit honest with themselves. Do they really actually know how these things work? Hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And that is part of it uh, is that the conspiracy theories are made, uh, you know, with the rules of propaganda that are simple, easy, easy to understand. It's not complicated. You can you can repeat it really easily. Uh, but but actually doing the other part of it, whereas these things that are upsetting them are often politically motivated and mm. policy mm. issues. So so let's say the vaccines, the, the vaccines, having them, not having them is something that for them can only be solved with politics. But I, I think you're right. There there can be that disconnect in terms of, well, if I actually want change, that is the direction that I would need to be working in. Mm. Um, mm. Definitely. Well, look, um, we sort of maybe have covered this, but do you, do you have any tips for people who do face this dilemma with family and friends at the moment? I can only speak for myself or what I've done. And I, and, and I, as I mentioned before, I think it's important to ask questions and mm. why they find something so persuasive. It does involve you, the person asking to also have an open mind. You will see videos that you may, uh, that may shock you. Um, and so, but I also think it's important for them to bear witness to, um, somebody saying calmly that they oppose these things. Mm. Um, I, I also, have a, a rule now where I say, uh, you can send me whatever link you want. 
and in, and I'll watch it. But in exchange, um, I'm going to send you a link and you have to watch it. Mm, mm. So I've tried to make it be less of this just a barrage of because that's how conspiracy theories work is that what they do is they they just give you endless material. Mm. And so the instinct is I've got to get this material out very quickly because it's going to be taken down. And so I say, hey, listen, I'll look at it. Well, maybe not all of them, but we'll go equal. And then you watch something that I'm going to send you. And I find that's really helpful because one, it slows down what they send me, but also at the same time, um, it, it forces them to have to see another side. And there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. We, no. you know, there's nothing, how great is exposure to things you're not into? Have you ever been to a place that someone forces you to go into maybe a museum or see a movie that you don't want? And then you're like, wow, I would never have done mm. that. Mm. Um, and, and that was a great thing. So there's nothing really wrong with, uh, with doing that. It's not a bad thing, even if you're sort of doing it with some intent. There is a fantastic article mm. called, if you found that pandemic video convincing, yeah. read this too. And what is what is really interesting about the uh, article is that it does force, you know, whoever, hey, you found that interesting, mm. read this too, meaning mm. goes through it in the other way. And it sort of forces them to say, oh, okay, um, if we're going to look at it, let's also, you know, look at this. So it's by Beth, and I will spell her name. It's S-K-W-A-R-E-C-K-I. I'll put, I'll put a link to it in, the, uh, in, in this podcast. It's always good to remind people that there are people that – you know, think differently. And that goes for people that if they have issues with racism, mm. if they have issues in, in terms of critical thinking, when we're looking at biases, it's, it's really important for them to have to bear witness to somebody thinking, you know, differently. Yeah. yeah. Well, one thing I remember as a conspiracy theorist um, on the <laughs> on the forums, people used to absolutely used to be endless, endless um, kind of not articles, but endless sort of debates or uh, slagging off sessions about um, conspiracy theorist skeptics, so people who don't believe in conspiracy theories, and people who even challenge them. And um, for me, I, I read this I read this book called Voodoo Histories by um, what's his name. David Aronovich and um, and I, I challenged myself to read this book from beginning to end to to see if my beliefs still held up to his criticisms of them and they didn't so it is very healthy to challenge your beliefs and to read the opposite of what you think sometimes right and that is that's the that's the um the goal of critical thinking if I if I get an email at the end of the semester saying I'm so happy my views were challenged and I've learned so much um, nothing uh, makes me feel better than that. Um, yeah, it's a, it's that that is that truly is the goal of um, y you know it's a challenging thing. Uh, a student wrote, wrote me once saying, "I can't even imagine how hard it is to teach people how to think or to unthink." And um, if we can all do that every once in a while, I think it's it's really valuable. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for your your time today. So before before you part, where can listeners find out more about you and your work? Uh, I have a website, it's debrawinter.com, D-E-B-R-A, winter like the season.com. Mm -hmm. uh, and I teach at NYU. You can, I'm easily found there. So Fantastic. And, and what was the title of your forthcoming book again? Oh, it's uh, Global Catastrophe and Liter Literature, Writing the Sublime. And when's that out? It is going to be out, oh, we hope January. We'll see. Okay, so. cool. 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 Fantastic. Are you still working on it at the moment, are you? Yeah, I'm finishing yeah. up a few things, just uh, doing, going through my last little edits, which is fun. Cool. 
Cool. Well, no, no pressure. Just looking forward to <laughs> reading it when it comes out. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So thank you again for joining me today. It's been great to have you on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. This is Secrets and Spies. Thank you.